you know, as a pastor, there's different holidays that the church experiences on a calendar basis each year, and some of them are pretty straightforward. Christmas, Easter, we always are able to focus on those things as God has given us his grace through his son, and we uh, have a real focus as he's given us his word on those things. But holidays like today, um, which we recognize at times, um, are so different than maybe Christmas or Easter because there's so many, there's such a wide spectrum of how every individual experience a day like today. And so a friend of mine uh, this week, a pastor friend, he had a, a post that he had posted. And, and it was actually an interesting post because it was not his own words. It was a, uh, a letter or a posting, or rather, um, given to him from a woman in his congregation. And it was in regards to her anticipation of this day coming up this, uh, this week. And it was from uh, this woman that he received these words. And she's not a mother herself, but she wants to be. And uh, as he posted this, I read it, and I thought, wow, that's, that's very powerful. And what I'd like to do is not necessarily just from her words that I say these things, but from a pastor's heart to you all women in our church today, I want to remind you of these thoughts, that we as a church body, as a church family, go through so many things in our lives from one stage and one phase of life to another, and through all those things, Christ is with us, and he gives us each other. So here, here are some of these thoughts. To those women who gave birth this past year, we celebrate with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains and dirty diapers, we greatly appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, or a failed adoption, we mourn with you today. To those who have a prodigal child, we wait with you in prayerful hope. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointments, we walk with you as well. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness. And remember, how you hold that child in your heart. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you more now than ever before. And to those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you in thanksgiving. To those who have disappointment, heartaches, and distances with your own children, we also sit with you in prayer. To those who have experienced the pain of abortion, we remember both you and them this day. To those who have lost their own mothers, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your suffering and your own disappointments. To those who live through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we're better off for having you in our midst. To those who long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that so far life has not turned out the way you long for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. And to those who envisioned, envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream has not yet come to pass, 
or may never, we hurt with you. And to those who have recently had or will soon have an emptier nest, we both reflect and rejoice with you. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and unexpected, we rejoice and anticipate God's blessing with you. To all the women, this Mother's Day, we walk with you. Womanhood and mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst today. Always remember that God's grace is ready to meet your need in every situation of life, and that your greatest identity is being a daughter of God. In just a moment, the ushers are going to come and give a gift to every woman in this church, mothers and daughters, as we celebrate all of you today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We're the aroma of Christ. May this gift today to all you ladies remind you that among us and among those outside this church, you are the aroma of Christ to all who believe and to all who need to yet believe. So remember the words that Christ shares with us as he shares with you as we celebrate this day with you as well. While these guys pass out uh, these beautiful flowers to you beautiful ladies, um, we're going to go ahead and do a few announcements um, before we move on with our service. Um, first, wanna, um, first of all, just encourage you all, um, if you haven't visited the website lately, um, that's one of the things that we want to continue to encourage you to maybe get into the weekly habit of doing, is just to go on there and peruse and see what's popping up, see what's happening, because there may be something that you've either just overlooked on the bulletin or didn't quite read in the newsletter um, that you might see on the website that will be a good reminder of something that's coming up that you might want to be a part of or you might want to encourage someone else to be a part of. Um, so continue to regularly use that as a, uh, an information tool. Um, and then um, just so you know, the spring picnic, which Matt mentioned last week, we've canceled a few times because of weather. Um, it is next week after church. Um, so immediately when you leave here, we'll head over to uh, the park, Swift Cantrell. Uh, we've got a covered area that we've reserved, and so we'll have a great time of food and fellowship, and again, the cost is $5 per person, or $10 if you have a family of two or more. Um, so we want to encourage you to come out, and that cost will provide the chicken and the sides uh, and drinks, but feel free to bring a dessert to share, and if you would, please RSVP to Bonnie uh, Lane. Her email address is on the back of your bulletin. If you're planning on coming, it would be a huge help for her to know that, so they can prepare accordingly as far as food. Um, next, May 24th is going to be a youth event, um, Sky Zone. Uh, Matt and Bethany are out of town this week, but he wanted me to remind all you guys, if you're thinking about it, make plans, let your parents know, parents um, prepare accordingly. And again, information is on the website. It's going to be $15, um, and that'll include jumping, two slices of pizza, and a drink. And, so, and there is a waiver that you have to sign um, for this, so if you are planning on going ahead of time, if you can go on um, Sky Zone's website, and download that waiver and go ahead and fill it out. That'll be a huge help for Matt as they plan. Um, and then last, VBS is coming up again, uh, June 2nd through the 6th. 
Um, and if you'd like more information about that, again, go on the website. Um, but one of the things I want to encourage you, if you're thinking about that and you're planning on attending VBS or being a part of it, um, please see Whitney after service. She's standing in the back. If you don't know her, Whitney Byerly is our children's director. Um, please let her know that you're thinking about that and that you're planning on going because um, it's getting close. And so we've got to continue to make preparations. So please, this Sunday, if you can, let her know that you're planning on bringing your kids and volunteering and being a part of that. So thank you. Thank you, Josh. Also, uh, tonight, there is no intermission middle school, high school youth group tonight, um, as many of you will be spending time with uh, friends and family. At this time, we're going to excuse our kindergarten through first graders for Praise City as they leave with their leaders and teachers for Praise City. Kindergarten through first grade. We are continuing in our study in this book of Philippians, uh, this wonderful letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi 2,000 years ago, and we are able to take these wonderful insights and truths that God reveals to us by His Spirit and apply them to our daily walk with the Lord. This text uh, that we have before us today is in chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, turn there, verses 19 through 30. As we're in the middle of the book now, and if you don't have your Bibles, the text is also written there on your program. You can look at your worship bulletin as well. Listen as I read God's Word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me a sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word reminds us again of just how much a gift we have been given, not only in your son, in his death and resurrection for us, his gift of forgiveness and grace, but also as you have given us others who have received that gift in the body to lean on, depend on, to trust, to go through life's ups and downs with. 
that you bless us with brothers and sisters in the family of God. Remind us of these encouragements today from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't think, I might not be correct that we have any arborists by vocation in our congregation today. Am I right or wrong? Any arborists in our congregation today? Well, not, not thinking that we do, I would want to know if anyone here would know what kind of tree would you see on the screen? It's not a small tree, as you can tell. There's someone standing right in the front middle of that picture because the tree is that large. If you've never seen a tree like this, you won't see it over here in Georgia, um, but you would see it if you went far out west. And I've only traveled out west that far to where these trees are one time and only seen this size of tree only once in my life. If you never have had the opportunity, it's quite an experience. You know what this is? This is a sequoia tree in California, out in the great Sequoia National Forest. Sequoia's trees grow to over 350 feet tall. I think the largest we have on record is just right at 400 feet, and often grow over, as you see there, 20 to 30 feet in diameter. Some of the trees, I saw some pictures this week when I was looking on the uh, internet for uh, different pictures, showed they had carved out t literal tunnels where roads needed to go through and cars drive through the middle of these trees. And it shows cars underneath driving through. It's amazing to think how big these trees are. But what's interesting about these particular trees is that that sequoia tree can grow, and you won't believe when I say this, in three feet of soil. That's right. 300 feet tall and only could require three feet of soil depth. But yet the root systems will grow 300 feet outward from the base of the tree. You see, they have a very shallow root system. Very rarely will you ever see a sequoia tree growing by itself with no other sequoia trees around. The root systems actually grow out that distance to the nearby sequoia trees and they begin to intertwine their roots together. And they become interconnected in the forest. That's how God designed that tree to survive. Can you imagine winds coming with that tall of a tree at only a shallow depth of less than five feet of root system? It would blow over in a second. We see it here in Georgia, trees blown over all the time with much deeper root systems, and yet they stand tall and they stay strong and they stay upright because their roots are interconnected with other trees around them. As I thought about that truth, amazing fact about this particular creation that God has given us, it reminded me of what is going on in our particular section of Scripture today. As Paul speaks and writes about interdependence 
in the gospel of grace. Interdependence between brothers and sisters together in the body of Christ. We have been truly given the opportunity as believers when we grow to grow not just in our depth of a relationship with the one who has saved us, but also grow in the breadth of our interconnectedness and interdependence with one another. And that's the blessing that Paul is reminding us in this passage today. He does so in an interesting manner because he's reminding us through particular identification of individuals that are in ministry alongside of himself. Remember, Paul, the apostle, writing this letter to the church in Philippi, and he is where? He's in prison when he's writing this letter. He's in prison in Rome, and he's writing to the church as he knows them very well and is thanking them and reminding them of the things that God is doing in them and through them, and an encourager he is seeking to be for them and to them. Every single week we see Paul's reminding them in very encouraging ways to continue in the path that they are already on, to keep going the direction in the Lord that they already are walking, not necessarily rebuking them, but giving them a sense of cheering them on and reminding them of how God is using them, not only in his own life in ministry, but the life of of the gospel being sent out from them as well. And so in our text, we have first the interdependent players, the individuals that show and are part of this story of interdependence that Paul himself is experiencing along with the church in Philippi. First, you have, of course, Paul. He's one of the primary players in this particular scene. He's in prison, as we said, in Rome writing to the church in Philippi, but he's also receiving support from them from a distance. They're sending him support, sending him encouragement and gifts and things of substance that he needs. And so he is, in a very real sense, interdependent upon the church in Philippi and the brothers and sisters there. All the believers in the Philippian church are also players in this story of interdependence. They themselves long to be with Paul and to be an encouragement to him, having received so much from him as he helped establish this new work, this new uh, place where the gospel is going out in Philippi. They want to be, remind, to be reminding him that his work and his, his calling is not yet done on this earth, and they want to do whatever they can to support him in spreading the gospel, even though he's locked up in prison. They know God is using him in Rome and using him to see the gospel go out. Another player is Timothy. Paul mentions there in the first verse about Timothy. Timothy had been a significant uh, uh, individual in Paul's life. Paul, of course, as we know, has mentored and discipled young Timothy as he grew up in his faith. He's still growing as a young pastor, a young minister in the gospel. He had been discipled and and uh, led in many ways by those around him, especially Paul. He had traveled with Paul throughout his missionary journeys, and he had vested his own time and energy in the church in Philippi. So not just Paul, but Timothy had a strong desire to see the brothers and sisters in Philippi growing and flourishing 
in the gospel of grace. Timothy had a desire to see the church grow and to see it have significant impact upon its own uh, region and its community. The other player that we have mentioned in our text is Epaphroditus. And we'll see in just a moment, Epaphroditus listed in verse 25. (coughs) He was a member of the church in Philippi, probably a leader in the church in Philippi, and they commissioned Epaphroditus to leave and to go to Rome. And not just go with with himself, but to bring gifts and those things that were needed to give to Paul from the hands of the church in Philippi. Those brothers and sisters commissioned him to take those very gifts to Paul and to bring them to him in prison and to be an assistant, to be a servant in service to Paul to aid in his ministry even as he was in prison. So these are the players that we see are involved in this entire scene that is set up for us. But what is the very nature of what gospel interdependence looks like? (coughs) We see who they are, Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and all the brothers and sisters in the Philippian church, but what is the nature of when the church, brothers and sisters, are truly interdependent, like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus were with the church in Philippi? Well, three characteristics. First, there are deeper spiritual relationships. Deeper spiritual relationships. Notice the word is interdependence, not just independence, it's interdependence. There is a constant, ongoing dependence upon one another in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) Paul and the Philippians, look how he, the whole tenor of these 11, 12 verses are written by Paul with that kind of sense, that feeling in mind. <clears throat> Verse 19, he says to the Philippians, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you. Again in verse 23, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things can go with me. Again in verse 28, therefore I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad. You see, every Every time he's addressing the brothers and sisters there in Philippi, Paul is doing so with great desire and hope and eagerness to encourage them. There's this this ethos, this tenor that he has in his words and in his feeling in the very words he writes to them that shows that he has such a desire for their well-being, for their good. And he does that from a relationship of true, deeper connection with those that he has ministered to and with. Paul has a deep sense of relationship spiritually with this church in Philippi, and he cares for them even in the way he writes this letter to them. Paul and Timothy, though, also have a strong, deep spiritual relationship with one another. As we mentioned, way before this letter was written, Paul had mentored, had loved and cared for, served sacrificially, given and done so many things to raise up Timothy in Timothy's own life. He says in verse 22, But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. In other words, 
Paul looks at Timothy like a son, just like a son with his own, a father with his own child. Paul looks at Timothy in that, in that way. Spiritually, he is a son of, Timoth- of Paul, Timothy is. And he, he has been given so much, invested in, in that deep relationship that Paul has with Timothy. We also have Paul and Epaphroditus, verse 25, that type of deeper spiritual connection. <clears throat> he says, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. And then he says, my brother. My brother. A close, intimate description of how he views Epaphroditus, who came to his aid and did so even at the peril of his own life, Epaphroditus did. Paul knew he did so because he cared deeply about Paul. There was a connection between Epaphroditus and Paul, and as brothers in the Lord, they had a deep bond together. All of these relationships, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Epaphroditus, Paul and the believers in Philippi, they're all sowing a a clear understanding that deeper spiritual relationships are necessary for us to be interdependent in the gospel of grace. How deep are your relationships with other brothers and sisters in your life? How deep are your relationships with those in the body of Christ? Right here at Christ Community, how deep are your relationships? Do they extend very far, like the roots of the sequoia? Do they go out, and do they also begin to intertwine with others? Or do they just kind of stop short and and, and just go deep on their own? Are you interconnected with others? I've always had the blessing of being in deeper relationships with other brothers and sisters in the body, particularly other brothers in discipleship with other men as I grew up in the faith, as I left home, and then as I went off to college, after college, and then going into uh, serving the Lord in the local church and ministry. All throughout these past 25 years, I've had the privilege, the opportunity to take advantage and to myself be used by the Lord in deeper relationships. And be blessed by that, to have that kind of opportunity to be with other men in the faith. You know, next to your own daily pursuit as a believer, as a Christian, following and getting, uh, following and <clears throat> pursuing Christ in your own walk spiritually, next to that, the most important thing for you to be doing as a son or a daughter of God is to be pursuing spiritual, deeper relationships with other believers in your life, particularly women with other women, men with other men who know the Lord and are seeking to be with one another in a spiritual, encouraging relationship. Being in that spiritually deeper relationship with others is the greatest thing to help you personally continue to grow in your walk with the Lord. We all need that interdependence. We cannot be an island to ourselves, independent of what others are doing in the body. We, we need one another. It's not just a matter of a desire, but it's a need that we all must experience. Deeper spiritual relationships is that first characteristic of the nature of gospel interdependence. The second is this, having an other-centered lifestyle. 
other-centeredness, being concerned for those around us more than we are even our own needs. Paul said in verse 23 regarding sending Timothy, he says, and I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things can go with me. In verse 25 regarding Epaphroditus, Paul says, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Now you, th you think about Paul sending them Timothy or taking Epaphroditus who had been sent to help him and sending him back to the church in Philippi. Paul could have kept both men for himself there. I mean, he's in prison. He has lots of needs, I'm sure. They're probably not seeking to meet all of his requests in prison, the Roman guards and the, the government. They're probably, if anything, ignoring everything that he's asking for and not caring for him in the least. And so having Timothy, having Epaphroditus there were probably tremendous encouragements to him personally, in many ways emotionally, physically, spiritually, and yet that's not as important to Paul as what the church in Philippi would need. His brothers and sisters who are there in the church, he could have kept both Timothy and Epaphroditus, but instead he saw a greater potential for spiritual impact by sending them to the church, by having Epaphroditus go back. You know, that's a great example for us to consider how to make significant decisions how to make life decisions. Paul makes his decisions regarding Timothy and Epaphroditus based upon what is greatest for the kingdom of God. What impact is greater for God's kingdom? That's the decision I'm going to seek to make, not putting what I want first, but what I believe would be best for the greater church, for the greater kingdom of God, beyond even what I personally would need at this very moment being centered on Christ and having a Christ-centered filter to make decisions that put Christ's priorities above our own. I mean, certainly Paul had not just lots of desires, but he had needs. He was in prison there. And he could have done so many things other than sending Timothy or sending Epaphroditus back, and yet he chose to make the decision to have them go minister to the Philippians. <coughs> we see also about Epaphroditus in verse 26. It says that Epaphroditus, Paul tells them, is distressed because you heard that he was ill. And then in verse 30, also about Epaphroditus, it says he risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give. So Epaphroditus shows in his own life, not just Paul, but Epaphroditus about considering others' needs before his own. He left and put his own life at risk for Paul's needs and gave up many things that he rightfully could have received himself. And then when he heard about how distressed it would probably cause his brothers and sisters whom he loved back in Philippi, he became distressed, not about his own well-being, but about how it would affect them. And it shows his heart for being centered upon others' needs around him. Timothy also had an other-centered heart. 
He desired to see others' needs met before his own. Look at verse 20 and 21. Paul writes, I have, speaking about Timothy to the Philippians, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. Paul is expressing frustration over the lack of eagerness and availability among the Roman believers that are there with him because there was a church, of course, there established in Rome where Paul was in prison, and I'm sure they were at some point ministering to him, and yet he says, I have no one else like Timothy who can show genuine concern for you. And then he goes on and says, everyone kind of looks out for their own interests and not for those of Jesus Christ. You know, if you go to Romans chapter 16, you'll see a list of names there. 26 names, actually, in Romans chapter 16, listing by name at least some of the converts, those in the church in Rome. Interesting, and that whole list of names, and yet Paul says, there aren't many that I've been able to find who I could send to you like Timothy who would show a genuine concern for your welfare and not just show concern for their own. That's kind of surprising as you think about the church being established there in Rome and yet Paul writes that. Where were those 26 people that he lists by name in Romans 16? Here in Philippians chapter 2. Paul reminded us again in chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. He says, as we've already looked a couple of weeks ago, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Engaging other people in the body, pursuing other people in relationships, being generous with our time, with our talents, with our treasures, serving in the body of Christ. These are all evidences that are seen and many of you here at Christ Community. But some of us struggle. Some of us are just staying in kind of the bystander position. Some of us in the church still stand on the sidelines and watch while so many others around us are engaging and seeking to do the work of God's kingdom, seeking to serve others rather than our own needs and our own desires we have to pursue others in relationships and their needs when we see them and pursue what they would be how they would be ministered to we can't just allow the things of this world to draw our attention away from those in the body and outside the body that we can have an impact for the kingdom think back in the last month if you would in your own life just reflect back in your mind's eye for a moment. In the past week or three weeks or month or so, can you think of a time you can identify when you could say, I did have an opportunity and took advantage of that opportunity looking out for someone else's interests above my own in the body of Christ Community Church. I, I do, I can remember that time in the past month that I did so. Now, Maybe some of you are thinking, well, I served in the nursery last Sunday, and that's very much an important need, and it does look out for the interests of others rather than your own. Some of you have 
ushered or helped in greeting those as they came in on Sunday morning. Those also are important needs as well. Serving in Phrase City and Kingdom Builders at 9.30 before worship begins in the Sunday mornings. Serving in youth ministry or in other areas of ministry in our church. All these are displays of putting others' needs before your own. They're vitally important, and they do put others' interests above our own interests. But let me ask you, beyond kind of the programs of the church or the programming or the, the structured ministry that we have that's so important, when was the last time you put another person in the body here and their needs, a brother or a sister's needs, as a priority to meet above your own? outside of that kind of structured program or event in the church. Can you think of that time just when you, in your own life, saw a need and you pursued it? You, you considered their needs more important than yourselves and you met it. So many of you do that. And I want to encourage you to continue to do that, whether a meal or, or helping someone with their children or a situation at work or whatever. Continue. As Paul has told the church in Philippi, continue looking out for others' interests more than your own. But at the same time, if you think and you reflect and you don't see and reflect on much evidence of what that means for your own walk in the Lord, let me encourage you to begin moving that way. Moving towards others and reaching out and looking out for their interests as well. The last characteristic we see in the nature of interdependence in the gospel is this, that we are co-laborers in the gospel. We're co-laborers in ministry together in the church. That's different than co-members in the church. We're all part of this family called Christ Community Church. We're in this together as a body. Some of us are very young or maybe not still yet in a relationship of faith with the Lord Jesus. Maybe we're just beginning that journey. Maybe we're further along or for years and years and years, decades, we've been walking with the Lord himself. We're all at different points in our journeys. And yet all of us are called to be co-laborers in the kingdom of God co-laborers paul and the philippians they were co-laborers verse 19 he says <clears throat> i hope this in timothy so that i also may be cheered when i receive news about you che what does he mean I, I may be cheered well he's saying that i might be encouraged and uplifted in spirit when i hear about you meaning when i hear about the ministry the work of the Lord that I know you're doing and I hear further it, more information about the more greater work you're doing. I look forward to being inspired and encouraged about your partnership, your co-laboring in the field, a harvest field, along with me. That's what he's writing and telling the Philippians. That's how he says we are co-laboring co in ministry together. And then with Timothy, in verse 22, he says, you know that Timothy has proved himself. <clears throat> he has served with me in the work, work of the gospel. Timothy and Paul were co-laborers. Yes, he mentored, he discipled, he pastored, he shepherded, he gave so much to Timothy in that relationship of brothers in Christ. 
but yet he also knew that Timothy was a co-laborer alongside of him and vital for the work that God had called Paul to do in establishing the church to the Gentiles. You know, this past week, uh, me and a few others, uh, a few of the elders here at Christ Community were privileged to be together at what we have three or four times a year in our area, region, with being a connected church. It's called our Presbytery. And we come together and we do the business of the church and so forth. One of the things we do is we recognize and encourage men in the faith, men in their calling towards possibly their future ministries. And so Christ Community was really uh, blessed that this week we had two men in our church come to our presbytery that God is raising up as co-laborers for the harvest field. These two men stood before our entire presbytery and they shared their testimony. They shared their, their belief of God's call upon their life towards ministry. And then the entire presbytery prayed for them and affirmed their words of proclamation. Matt Sowers and Chris Byerly, these two men in our congregation, both here uh, in our midst. And you, if you don't know Chris or Matt, I encourage you to get to know both of these brothers, for God is using them in among us, but also affirming them towards being co-laborers. They already are co-laboring, but that God would also call them in certain leadership capacities in his church as they grow and develop in their giftings and in their callings. Such an encouragement, just as we see here with Paul and Timothy. Paul and Epaphroditus, again, he looks at Epaphroditus in verse 25, and he says, he's my brother, but he also identifies Epaphroditus in verse 25 as a co-worker, a fellow soldier, and to the Philippians, your messenger. You see, Epaphroditus was a co-worker, a co-laborer, and that's how Paul understood his role, not only to himself, but to others. You know, so many believers will look maybe at these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, um, who co-labor with Paul, or today in the church, people look at me, the pastor, or maybe uh, a staff position, someone who's on staff in our church, or they might even look at those who are being mentored and being encouraged towards their future callings like Chris and Matt and they look at all those individuals and they may say now those are the ones who really co-labor in the gospel and in ministry yeah those are the ones who do the late the real laboring but that's not the testimony of what scripture says it's not just the church staff or a few it is all of us do you view yourself as a co-laborer in the church do you really view yourself as a co-alongside of laborer in the gospel work? Or do you just see yourself as another member who attends church at Christ Community? There's a difference on how you understand and how do you view your place in the body of Christ. There's a significant difference how you make your daily decisions, your life decisions, will display whether you view yourself as a co-laborer or whether you view yourself simply as just a member of the church. I just, oh, I attend Christ Community. That's where I'm a member. Membership is not the same as co-laborship. Very different understandings. 
This past week, I was talking with one of the leaders at Christ Community about what he was going through at his work. And recently, in the past few weeks, things changed in his work, whereby his commute, which is significant, um, was changing once again. He used to be able to um, telecommute and do things that way, but then the company he worked for now is requiring greater face time in the office, and therefore having to go to the office many, many more days of the week. To basically, it was going to be five days a week he would be at the office. And certainly nothing wrong with that except in his situation. He felt like that wasn't going to be able to fit what he believed God had given him, what he had called him to do with his life. So he saw how it would affect not just his family, but he said to me, I really don't believe this is going to work for my situation. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I really don't believe this is going to work out for the ministry that God's called me to labor in. And I said, please speak more. And he explained how he wants to be, he wants to be more available to be able to serve the Lord and to do his work. And he could not do that if he was gone every evening till six or seven o'clock. And he wanted to be available to do the work of the Lord. And so he made a decision, made a decision to change his position. And God has honored that to where now he's in a position uh, or soon will be where he's going to be able to serve and to co-labor in this body. Making a decision about his career, his job, because of his heart to co-labor in the gospel work. That is what Paul's talking about. And that's the kind of heart and filter we hope that we can develop in our own lives. We would make those kind of decisions because we're putting Christ first and his desires for how we not only serve him, but how we also serve his church. Interdependence. Interdependence. We all are called to do the work of the gospel together. 